back after a little bit of a hiatus. We're grateful to see you and meet you and would love to just linger with you a bit afterwards. We're pretty good with social cues. So uh, if you wanna just beeline out of here, uh, you, you, know, you don't have to leave five minutes early, we'll leave you be. Um, but we would love to connect if you'd like to and, and we'll linger around and love to get to know you. It's one of the great privileges to uh, having a little smaller community of faith. We can kind of get to know one another. Hey, uh, it's really hard to believe for me that it's been, is it almost two weeks since Christmas? Is, that, is it possible? Um, some of your kids' toys have already broken by now, um, right? And, uh, and some of you who ran up credit cards, the bill is coming. Um, and uh, hopefully you didn't do that. Um, and I, uh, to pile onto that surprise and in the uh, context of how quick time passes, it's amazing it's been two months since we celebrated 10 years as a church. And just a fantastic, yeah, you can continue to clap for that. That's really fine. Um, great to see that season continue to come. And we, we were very intentional at our 10-year anniversary back at the beginning of November to obviously celebrate all God has done in the last 10 years and the ways in which when we were attentive, we got to join God in what he was up to and to just partner with him and what he wanted to do in our city and around the world through our unique collection of gifts and unique skills. But the next stage of this journey for us is really to look forward to the next 10 years. To say, God, what will the next 10 look like? How are you inviting us to join you, God, in what you're already doing? in our city, in our lives, in our community, and around the world that you would uniquely call Disciples Church to be part of. Not to try to mimic another church in town or across the country. We love our sisters and brothers across the city and across the country who strive hard for the good of the kingdom of God. But God has called us uniquely as a unique community of faith to partner with him in some unique ways. And over the next four weeks, that is our goal, is to dive into what these next 10 things are. And let me be clear as we talk about the next 10. And, and let me be clear about what we as a leadership, I get to be the mouthpiece for these four talks, but that we as a leadership and what we mean when we say these words, where we sense God leading us in the next 10. Because I'll be honest with you, I have been guilty and I have sat and heard these guilt-laden appeals over the years. Some of them I have given. Where we say we feel like God is calling us. And what that means, God is calling us, is we need you to do the stuff that we think you should do. And it's gonna be really great when you all do the great stuff that we think we heard God tell us for you. Right? Amen. I believe that's an amen that says, please don't do that. Um, I trust that. The rest of you are like, please go to Lakeside, sir. Um, no, no, no shade on Lakeside, just meaning get out of here uh, is all I mean by that. That's not, that's not what we want to do. Now, don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me say that we haven't heard from the Lord. Don't hear me say that, hey, we're just gonna float through this life and just kind of, you know, try to be good people. And We believe God has spoken and we believe he's spoken clearly, but you're, you're not gonna hear a list of projects we feel God wants you to accomplish nor have I prepared an impassioned speech in hopes of getting you excited about some new unknown frontier out there. 
as we have prayed, as a leadership, as we have discussed, as we believe we have discerned in the spirit where he is leading us as a church. We believe that God continues to work in disciples church in four really critical and key areas. Ways in which we have seen God at work in the life of our church over 10 years, beginning all the way back at the end of 2008 when we began to meet six of us in a living room. Many of those six are still part of the community now. And as we saw God work in these four areas into 2009, as we launched the church publicly, and in 2010, when we got our first little corner building and down on the wrong side of town next to a creepy massage parlor and tried to do ministry there. As, as life expanded as a church, we began to see God work in these four areas and all the way through to today. These four areas are very straightforward and very simple. First is partnering with the global church. We see God's hand moving in power in Guatemala every time we send a team to serve in the schools, to deliver clean water to those in need, or to partner with the various church planting efforts which we are connected to in Guatemala. And we do not believe that Guatemala is the end. I, I believe with all my heart and our leadership believes with all our heart that there is more from the global church that God wants to teach us. Not that we arrive as a great white hope from the North or the great white hope, even worse, from the West to teach them how to get church right. No, our posture in Guatemala has always been to arrive humbly and to say, how, how is God at work among you? And how can we learn from each other and serve one another? It has frustrated you to no end. I know over our five, six years there. When we've come back and you've said, what is it that we're doing down there? When are we gonna paint the fence? And we said, there's no fence to paint. It's gonna take years to develop relationship with our friends in Guatemala and learn from them and partner with what God is already doing and find our unique place. And we've done that. We've put the time in but there are other frontiers as well. We wanna to continue to partner with the global church. Secondly, uh, we believe that there is spiritual breakthrough to be experienced in worship. As a worshiping community, that there is something that happens when we gather communally across the aisle from somebody whose politics we hate from somebody who keeps getting up and leaving the room, from somebody who's playing on their phone on Instagram while we're worshiping. And there's something that happens when we come together and we set all of that aside and we adore God. We hear his voice. We receive a prophetic word from a friend. We, we take the risk and come down front at the end of the service and, and have a friend pray for us when we gather our resources and we, we lay our tithes and offerings in a little bucket in the back of the room and we take our hands off and go, oh God, that's so much money, ah. And we submit it to the Lord and we say, God, we, we are doing this together. God wants spiritual breakthrough to continue to happen in worship. I believe that God wants us to continue to partner in multiplying the church. I think most of us know, but if you're new, you may not know that this past year, Disciples Church was named as one of America's 100 top multiplying churches in the country. Very cool. Yeah, very, very cool honor we received. And we got, uh, yeah, amen. We got, um, we got in an eight point font, one line in a magazine that 13 pastors in the country read. Um, that's it, guys. That's what we got, right? It's a good thing we don't do it for earthly fame, right? 
But here's the cool thing. There's a hundred churches named in that list and I've read through and, and uh, because of our, our, our activity in church planting, we know a lot of those churches. Don't know a hundred of them, but know a lot of them. And uh, we are one of only two churches on the list of a hundred that I know of that are under a thousand people in weekly attendance. Um, and we are by far and away the smallest church on that list. And yet we're one of a hundred that have said, listen, we are not gonna wait till we hit 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 to plant churches. We, we can't seem to read the epistles of Paul and the other apostles and not see church planting as a key aspect to the life of faith as Christians. And so we're just gonna plant churches and that's gonna cost. Uh, we're gonna continue to do that and continue to plant. We've helped plant 10 churches out of Disciples Church in 10 years. And uh, we dream of what would it look like uh, in the next 10 years if we helped 100 churches? What would that look like? What would have to shift in us? What would have to change? What would, how would that have to look? How would we have to redefine what a church looks like? And it's fun stuff. We're gonna continue to plant churches. And finally, uh, local compassion care. We are convinced that God wants us to use our gifts to announce his kingdom in our region. I'm convinced, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that our, our leadership uh, continue to convince me in the moments when my faith is weak to say, Stu, uh, believe, help us with your unbelief. That the key to announcing the kingdom in our region will be to care compassionately for the least and the lost and the left out in the kingdom of God. That we wander through a city or a region, whether you live in Natomas or Cameron Park or Orangevale or somewhere in between, that there are people that live across the street from you that are dying for lack of the oxygenating life of Jesus in their life. They have begun to begin a lie that God might not even exist. And it's not because they actually think God doesn't exist. It's because they don't see God in you or in me. How in the world are they gonna believe he's real if they don't see his people act as if he's real? We're gonna continue to care locally through compassionate care. I'll tell you, something happened in us as a people and I watched it and I know you did too. A couple of years ago, when we partnered up with six or seven other churches in town to host six or eight weeks, I don't remember how many it is now, of homeless shelters. And we take a week of it usually and we host the homeless here in our facility and something changed in you all. Something changed. For years, we would beg you to stick around after church and stack chairs and you'd be like, peace. And out the door you go. We would beg you, just get a napkin under your donut for Jesus, please. <laughs> eh, I don't really feel like it. Just sit through a whole service without playing on Instagram. Eh, I don't really want to. And then all of a sudden we said, hey, we're gonna have the homeless live here for a week. We need a bunch of you to stay overnight, to cook meals, to clean up after them, to hang out with them, to get to know them. And dozens upon dozens upon dozens of you signed up and every slot gets filled every year. And I'm telling you guys, if you're in the room today or you're in the room any Sunday in the next month, we are going to ask you to sign up to serve the homeless in our city in February in some way, shape or form. Either stay overnight, come hang out, eat a meal with them, bring a meal, clean up after. Something has shifted in us guys and it's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, good things are happening in our world. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 Many of you are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11 for or know the plans I have for you, plans for future. There are verses before that. Did you know? 
Did you know that Jeremiah said other things? We're going to look at some stuff he said before that. Um, so turn to Jeremiah 29. If you're not already using YouVersion, please do. We have packed our YouVersion event today full of resources for you because um, we're throwing a lot of content at you over the next four weeks. So uh, please use YouVersion. Go to the bottom right of the app once you download it. Click events, find the Disciples Church event. It's real easy to find. If you can't find it, look around the room, find somebody under the age of 13 and they will do it for you, okay? Because um, they, they know this stuff. So uh, pray with me if you would. Father, Son, and Spirit, we gather uh, in your name and for your glory and we just want to join you in what you're doing. Because God, if you're actually real <laughs> and if you're actually at work in this world, we want to be part of that work. And we want to sense your presence with us, God. We want to hear you speak. We want to feel your transforming power coursing through our veins. So God, we accept your invite, what you want to say to us in these remaining moments. Speak to us. And in the words of our great friend, King David, teach us your ways, O Lord, that we might walk in your truth. In Christ's name, amen. In his book, Faithful Presence, uh, a favorite around the leaders of Disciples Church. If you haven't got it yet, we put the link in you version, grab that. David Fitch writes these words that faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that he uses a people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. When the church is the faithful presence, God's kingdom becomes visible and the world is invited to join with God. Faithful presence is not only essential for our lives as Christians, it's how God has chosen to change the world. Fitch goes on to write, faithful presence, I contend, must therefore be a communal reality before it can infect the world. It must take shape as a whole way of life among his people. This kind of faithful presence in the life of a person began in those of us who began Disciples Church a long time ago. For those who don't know, I was a wild young man who was full of anger and hatred for a number of really silly reasons. And a guy named Randy grabbed me at a water ski day uh, who was a youth pastor. And Randy pulled me aside. He said, you're an angry little bugger, aren't you? And uh, no, I'm not. You know, something along those lines. Uh, if you have teenagers, you know the phrase. And he said, uh, what, what do you like to do? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was I like to listen to Led Zeppelin, which I did. I mean, yeah, right? <laughs> who said me too? Raise your hand. He said, oh, awesome, good. And he said, okay, cool. He goes, do you know how to play pool? I don't know why he said, I don't know if he did like re, I should ask him someday if he did recon on me. But he said, do you like to shoot pool? I said, no, I've never shot pool. And he said, awesome. He said, I don't know Led Zeppelin's music and you don't know how to shoot pool. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pick you up from school every Friday after school. And you're gonna get in the car with me and we're gonna go to a pool hall and we're gonna put Led Zeppelin on the jukebox. You'll teach me Led Zeppelin and I'll teach you how to shoot pool. And that was that. Uh, he said, oh, and by the way, maybe we'll talk about God once in a while too. And that just kind of went out my ear. I was like, I, I don't even care. I just want to listen to Led Zeppelin and shoot pool. And we did that every Friday for six or seven years. Um, that was my freshman year of high school. 
We did it almost every Friday, all the way through high school. We did it into college. Uh, he faked an internship for me when I was in college, essentially so that uh, I could get school credit to continue shooting pool with him and listen to Led Zeppelin. And that's it. And a disciple was made. He knows a lot of Led Zeppelin right now. Um, I'm still pretty lousy at pool, so don't challenge me to a game. But it's amazing the conversations that happen in that ministry of presence. Just a guy who was present in the life of an angry young guy. Just there all the time, every Friday. Like just this rhythmic life that happened, almost like a Sabbath rhythm. Every Friday, Randy would pick me up. And as I got older and drove, he and I would meet at the pool. That continued on uh, in the years that followed as I became a youth pastor. And I remember being hired to be a youth pastor at this little church in Anderson, California, just south of Reading. And I arrived and one of the first people I met, we, uh, Jen and I arrived and uh, Isaac was six days old the first day we showed up to the church. He's now 41. Um, <laughs> I feel great. Uh, yeah, I feel great for 84 years old. Uh, we showed up with Isaac, six days old, and one of the first people that came to meet us was Amanda McCall. I don't even know if Amanda's in the room today, but she's, she's around and uh, leads our tech team still. And Amanda greeted me, and she was already working with the youth ministry there. And she came up to me and said, well, I guess I gotta meet you, and we're gonna work together, and we're gonna talk to youth about Jesus. Amanda was faithfully present in the life of students and later went on to go serve as a missionary in West Oakland and lived right next door to where the Black Panthers were founded, this white girl from rural Cottonwood, California, serving the urban poor of West Oakland. When we felt the call to plant Disciples Church, we called up Amanda and I said, Amanda, you gotta drop everything. The urban poor can wait. We need you in suburbia. And she prayed for months and God led her to finish up her ministry there and come. There were a couple others too. There was Adam Adams, who a young 15-year-old intellectual who came to faith in Christ. And I see him back there in the room. He's gonna come up and sing in just a minute. He's not gonna do that at all. He may actually never speak to me again as it is. And uh, I called Adam and he was in Chico finishing up college. Adam had come to Christ at 15 and had been a leader in the youth ministry, had done an internship with us. And just the very thing that I learned from Randy, we just tried to translate it to other students in our own youth ministry. And so we faked an internship with Adam, which meant he cleaned decks and cleaned out attics and told kids about Jesus. And... Uh, so when we planted the church, we called Adam and we called Sean and Terry who are here with us still as well. Sean did the same thing, came to faith in Christ at 16. Jen and I knew this young girl, Terry, and we're like, well, Sean and Terry have to get married. It's just the way things have to be. They're perfect for each other. So we would make them lead Bible studies in our house at 15 years old, and we played matchmaker at 15. I don't think we ever told them they had to get married, but we just made sure they never met anybody else of the opposite gender. <laughs> and Jen and I were overjoyed to be at their wedding and to be there when Eleanor was born. And when Eleanor almost didn't make it. And to walk through life with them and to see them be faithfully present in our life. Guys, if we had hours and hours, we could go around the room beginning in the front row and snake our way through every single story and the story of your life with God would begin and have been marked over and over and over again by people who were faithfully present in your life, who were there, who just showed up, 
who didn't always have the right words to say. In fact, oftentimes they said the wrong words, but because you loved them, you put up with us. Faithfully present. And in the next 10, one of the key pieces for us is to be faithfully present in the communities where we live, offering the compassion of Jesus to people who desperately need it. We live in suburbia where we're convinced that everybody has everything they need and people are dying for lack of hope. The three-car garage and the electronic garage door opener and the big house and the in-ground pool has not delivered the joy we thought that it would. And in fact, at the end of the day, all we're left with is a $500,000 mortgage and student loans we can't pay. The next 10 will be marked by us being a people who deliver compassionate care to an area that desperately needs it. The only question here is how? You see, the question isn't if. The question isn't if God has called you as an individual and us as a community to gather together around it. It's not if. Well, I don't know if God has called me to be part of that. He has called you. You are a missionary. The only way God sees a person who has devoted their life to him is as a missionary. There's no other lens by which God sees you. A missionary, a sent one. Just as the Father has sent the Son, the Father and Son send the Spirit who sends the church. We are sent ones. And when our life begins to not make sense, when we begin to ask deep questions about who God is and his activity in the world, they're typically rooted in us not living as sent ones. The question is not if, you are indeed a missionary. And this is not also a question of when. It's not about if I'm a missionary and it's not when am I a missionary. Well, I will get engaged with God's work in the world when the kids get out of elementary school and I can sleep through the night. Well, guess what? Mine are 19 and I still don't sleep through the night. I lay wide awake in bed until they arrive home every night safe and sound. You ain't gonna sleep through the night, guys. Sorry. Hate to do that to you. And it's not a when, when I get my career under control or, or when I, I decide on this one theological thing that has me hung up or, or when I have more time or when I feel less anxiety. It's not about when, the when is now. God has called you as a missionary and he has called you now as a missionary. So the question is not if and the question is not when, the question is how. God, how do you want to use me to announce the goodness of your kingdom right now with what I have to offer you? God, here's what I can give you. <laughs> Here, here's what I have to offer. And God will take that and say, oh, I would love to have so much more of you, but I'll take that. Bring it. Is it willing? Are you giving it to me? Oh, begrudgingly? I don't want it. Oh, you're gonna give it to me willingly? Oh, this will be awesome. We can do amazing things with that little bit you offer. The question is how? The question is how, Lord, how do I best serve you in this kingdom, in your kingdom, in this stage of my life? Jeremiah 29, the people of Israel had been exiled to Babylon. God's chosen people who thought that they had arrived when they got to the promised land. 
Remember, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and they, they must have thought for sure when they crossed over as Joshua as their new leader that we have arrived in the promised land and now we will ride out the rest of eternity as God's chosen people in the lap of luxury back to Eden and join. And then all of a sudden Israel falls again and the kingdom divides north and south. The north begins to attack the south and Jerusalem, the center of religious activity and the, and the picture of the presence of God lays under siege. And Babylon comes in and strips away God's people and exiles them to Babylon back into slavery. What do we do now, God? What do we do with ourselves now? Jeremiah writes these letters from Jerusalem to all of the specific leaders of the day. He writes to the elders and to the priests and to the prophets and to all people who have been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And this was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. This is fascinating. If I had two hours, I would go into this. Dive in, guys. You are going to love this. That it mentions not just the public religious leaders, but craftsmen and artisans have all been exiled to Babylon. As, as if to paint a picture for you and I that they have arrived in a strange land where their gifts and skills feel useless to them. And if I'm being really, really honest with you, there have been more times than I'm willing to confess over the 10 years of disciples where I felt my gifts and skills were useless in suburbia. Where I was convinced that the way God's wired me up can't help suburban America. I gotta go to Guatemala. I gotta move my family there. I gotta go elsewhere. I gotta, I gotta do something different because I, I'm banging my head against a brick wall, God, and the way you've wired me is not helpful here. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you were talking to your spouse and you just keep having the same conversation over and over and over again and there's never breakthrough? I, I'm not getting through. Maybe it's just me. Oh, but it's not. Read on. I, we are not alone. Say Ben exile. Pick up in verse four with me. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives, all the captives, not just the leaders, not just the craftsmen, not just the priests and prophets, all people. Verse five, here's the instruction from God. Verse five, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for your children so that you may have many grandchildren. Amen, grandparents and grandparents-to-be. You know who you are. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Allow me to read that again, verse seven. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. 
Work for the peace and prosperity of the place where you live. How, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but how are you doing at proclaiming the peace of Christ in your apartment complex, on your street, in your house, in your bedroom? Are you announcing the peace and prosperity of Christ where you go? Because the welfare of your sphere of influence will determine your own welfare. You feel like you're surrounded by idiots in life? Guess how they feel? And you're a Jesus follower. Work for the peace and prosperity. For its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, it would seem reasonable to me that the Jews would be at odds with the Babylonians, right? They, they would naturally resent their captors. That hostility between them would be expected, I think, and even provided for a little grace for them. Ringing around in their heads must have been the words of the law, reminding them never to intermarry and never defile themselves by assimilating into the evil culture of the North. They, they must have always been in the frontal lobe of their minds that we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We are Israel. But that is not the call of God for them. He says, build homes and plan to stick around. Plant a garden, man. You're gonna be here a while. Eat some zucchini. Figure out how to make things grow in this soil because you ain't going anywhere. You're gonna be here a while. Multiply, have kids. And then when your kids get old enough, have them marry and have them have kids because you should have lots of grandkids. Fewer kids, lots of grandkids. That's the right equation, right? <laughs> and then the shocking exhortation, work for the peace and prosperity of the city and pray for that, that their welfare will determine your welfare. There is, I don't want to use the word, there is a give and take to this. It's not reciprocity. It's not like, God, I will do for you and you will do back for me. It's a picture that you are in community now with this people. So fast forward to our lives here in the US. When you look around the corner of where you live in the city where you have your life, you feel the spirit stir in you a divine discontent for his lacking rule and reign in the places where you live? Or when you glance across your street, do you have a, some sense of anguish or divine discontent that God's peace may not be reigning as you would hope that it should? God is saying, plant yourself there. That's where you plant yourself. You just begin to announce the peace of Christ. Now, admittedly, I mean, this is so different from what Israel had come to experience during their wandering in the wilderness. The first few chapters of Deuteronomy recap for us much of their wandering and we can't escape the palpable desire in Israel for safety and security. So much so that early on in their being released from slavery from Egypt the first time, they say to Moses, what? Just let's go back. 
It's the devil we know versus the devil we don't. Let's just go back. At least we're safe and secure there. At least we know there will be food to eat. Yes, we're gonna have to make bricks without straw. And I'm not sure the grasshoppers are gone yet, but let's just go back. Just send us back, Moses. Your and my gravitational pull for safety and security will be our absolute kingdom undoing if we let it rule. And suburbia is like the quintessential land of safety and security, right? We have like gated communities and we have pretty little houses. I have a button I can hit and I can drive into my garage and shut it behind me. Nobody even has to see me exit my car. Little parks in each neighborhood so our kids don't have to cross busy streets. Everything's lit up perfectly at night. We're not as different from Israel as we might think that we are. So God is now saying that I have sent you there to Babylon and your eyes must lift from the horizons of your own individualized world to see what I'm up to in the universe. In John chapter 20, Jesus says, peace be with you to his disciples. And he goes on to say, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. In his book, The Continuing Conversion of the Church, Daryl Guder puts it this way. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God revealed himself as the one who is with and for his creation. Well, what a, well let me carry on and I'll comment. Now, now, as the risen Lord sends his spirit to empower the church, we are called to become God's people present with and for the world. What a stark contrast from what we're hearing in the news these days that the world is bad and it's evil and we should be against it and we should be sure we know who we're against and they're not with us and they're... And God is saying, no, you're to be in and for and with the world. Not like the world, very different from the world, but for it. That it's prosperity will have some impact on yours, that it's welfare will dictate yours. Let me paint for you a quick picture in these closing moments of a conversation I have had on a near weekly basis in our 10 years as a church. It goes something like this. Somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Stu, um, I think it would be a great idea for us as a church to do this, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Or sometimes it comes uh, this way, which is a little bit more aggressively. Um, uh, hey, Stu, I think you <laughs> should do X for the church. I think it'd be really great. I think my neighbor would come if you would do this thing. And, and you, at some point, there's this line that we say we won't cross and everybody's line is in a different spot. But there, there have been times in our 10 years where I have felt that uh, there were those in our world that wanted me to dress up in a monkey suit and dance on the front desk of the people in their neighborhood and that, that would just, that would be the thing. And I will confess my response to that has often been, and this is part of what makes Disciples Church so unique in some way and different. My response has always been, that's a great idea. You should do it. Hey, Stu, I have this great idea for the church that we should do. And I go, that is a great idea. You should do that. And usually the response is something like this. Guess what it is? Yeah, never mind. Sometimes it even comes to me in conviction. So I think it's really wrong that we do this thing. And my response back is, huh, I never really thought about that. 
wow, you should run with that and lead us in that. Yeah, I don't really feel that strong about it. And they back away. So first, a confession of repentance uh, on behalf of the leadership and your lead pastor, and then a challenge, okay? So I repent first. Uh, let me first repent for 10 years of saying, that's a great idea, you should do it. It didn't click for me until recently that that's been uh, a really harmful response to you as a body. It's not been helpful. It hasn't helped us as a community of faith navigate the choppy waters of mission in a changing world. I'm sorry. I, I see now that my response has made very little of your ideas. Uh, and I see now that saying that uh, what I said was sort of co-opting the leadership that God has put upon us. And at times, not fan to flame a dream or given space for you to work out a conviction that you're wrestling with. And that, that's all been really immature and wrong. And I confess that and repent of that. Now a challenge. We have every resource we need as a church to do everything God has called us to do. We lack nothing. We lack no skill. We lack no insight. We actually don't lack any money, even though there's never enough. We have everything we need. Everything that we need is at our fingertip. What we must return to is this ancient invitation of God to show up fully present where we live, where he has placed us, armed with the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus is king and that he is establishing his new kingdom in our midst. And we cannot accept this invitation to explore God's new world, this new thing he's doing through his faithful presence if we are solely focused on our own earthly pursuits. For some, that's amassing wealth. You're watching that 401k or 503b or 609 tenor every single day so you can hit some magic number so that your life can actually begin. For others, the earthly pursuit has clearly been trying to become the most beautiful person on Instagram. For others, it's getting the house. For some, it's raising a division one athlete who goes on to be the one in a million or being the fastest person in your company to go from CSR to C-suite. We, we all have these earthly pursuits and the challenge is when God stirs in you individually a thing for his kingdom is to set down the earthly pursuit and say, I think you meant it, Jesus, when you said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will fall into place. It doesn't mean ignore these earthly pursuits. It doesn't mean stop investing in your retirement or stop taking your kid to soccer practice. It just means that the primary will be, God, what are you stirring in me? What are you asking me to get involved in? And then bringing that to the feet of the community and saying, I think God wants me to care for X. And saying, I will give this my full attention. I can't do it alone. 
I don't have the bandwidth for it. I'm gonna need a whole crew of people to come alongside me. And, and the reality is that your dream, the thing that God has stirred in you that doesn't make complete sense and certainly isn't complete connects with her dream over here that she doesn't know what hers means either. And hers connects to his over here. And if the three of you would all speak up your dream, you would find out, oh, sweet Jesus, our three dreams together is God's dream and we can do it together. But so often what happens is we hear it and we bring it to a leader. We go, you know, I really think the church ought to, whatever it might be. I have a list, a hundred things long that you have said to me over the last 10 years. And my repentance is to just say, yeah, cool, you should go do that. Instead, the new era of disciples church will be, okay, when do we sit down and talk more about it? That's a cool dream. I have no idea what that means, but that's a cool dream. When do we sit down and talk more about it? And what are we gonna need to make that happen? This is the new era of disciples. This is the next 10 for us of compassionate care because we have every creative energy and power in this room that we need to announce that the kingdom of God is alive and well in our city. And what you all come up with will so outpace anything the 10 of us eldership leaders can ever come up with in a room. Listen, here's what I promise you. The elders in this room will keep the spiritual wheels on the train They'll make sure the other leaders don't go crazy. And if we do, that we get help. The elders in the room will make sure nobody embezzles any money. And if they do, that we'll get it back. It's never happened yet. Well, I guess that we know of, right? Embezzlement isn't really embezzlement if you know about it, right? <laughs> embezzlement jokes, this Sunday at Disciples. Somebody just had their giving app open and we're like, eh, maybe not this week. <laughs> Listen, the, the elders will keep the spiritual wheels on the train. That I pro we've been doing that for 10 years. You've, you have collected excellent, godly, Christ-centered women and men to lead. Here's what we need now. We need you in the game, guys. We need you to stop holding down a chair. The chairs will hold themselves down. Gravity is a beautiful gift to us. We need you to get in the game with us. And we need your creative insight and the stirring of the spirit that said to you one year, hey, I think that we should renovate the whole building for a month of Christmas. I heard this idea and turn it into a Christmas palace for the autistic and special needs kids in our community. Because they can't go to the mall and sit with Santa Claus because it freaks them out. What if we turned this building for a month into a place where every special needs kid in the community could come and could have a really fun Christmas experience in our building, all designed around a special needs kid? Oh, now we're cooking with gas. I don't have a clue how to make that happen. So when you brought that to me, my response was, oh, that's really cool, you should do that. And you went, what a jerk. Like, I don't know how to do that. My response now, our response is a church will be yes if every time. Yes, let's sit down and figure out how to make it happen. Is God stirring it? Let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. I don't have time for everything else that I have prepared to say. Let me, uh, let me simply uh, do two things. First off, encourage you to, grab that version event. There's a bunch more content in there for you. Uh, and let me uh, leave you with two final things. First off, a quote from Leslie Newbegin, uh, a missionary uh, from England who left England, I don't remember the year, but pre-Industrial Revolution, 
went to India to be a missionary, spent 40 some years in India as a missionary, and then came back to England and found that his country had changed quite radically in 40 years. And that uh, the culture had kind of worked God out of the frame. And Leslie became a prolific writer, probably the, the missional theologian of uh, the last two, 300 years. He writes, the church was not meant to call men and women out of the world's danger into a safe religious enclave, but instead to call them out of the world's bondage and send them back as agents of peace. For uh, at least three and a half years, when we meet every Tuesday night as a leadership, Tom Hare, one of our elders, I don't know if Tom's here today or not, or if he's out, but Tom comes into the room and uh, we typically start the night with a, a question that resembles this. Has anybody had a catastrophic day that renders you incapable of being your normal self today? Something along those lines. How are we doing, essentially? How was your day? And then we pray for each other before we pray for you, and before we study scripture, and before we get down to the brass tacks of leading the church and checking on things, we pray for one another. And, uh, for about three, three and a half years, Tom has prayed almost every week for another catastrophic situation at his work. Tom works with probably the most at-risk uh, section of our population, kids in foster care. Um, and he works with the most troubled of the most troubled in foster care. Um, stories uh, that are, are unrepeatable. Things that these 14, 15, 16, 18 year old kids have lived through. And Tom prays um, and we pray. And at the end of it, we always look to one another and go, what are we supposed to do about it? What do we do? Like we can pray, but there's something we're supposed to do. What, what I will say, and I say all that to say that transferring the burden is a long process, but God has put a burden on your heart, just like he put a burden on Tom's heart for foster kids. And I will say, and I think I can say with, with great confidence that that burden for the foster community in the Sacramento region has transferred to the hearts of the women and men who sit around that table. And we're beginning to ask the question, God, what do you want us to do in light of this? You have placed Tom there and Tom is a light for your gospel that your kingdom's alive and well. And, and yet now we're beginning to ask the question, God, what do we do? How do we care compassionately for this section of society that is so easily forgotten? And that is one person. Imagine if every one of us began to speak up the burden God's put on our heart. And we began to organize around those burdens and began to join God in what he wants to do in our community to announce his kingdom. We would have the most fun that we have ever had in church in our entire lives. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done in this place, for what you have yet to do, for the things that were said that were from you, for the things that were not said that were not from you for the things that you want to yet say to our souls. Speak to us even in these closing moments, God, as we um, close our time together. God, continue to stir in us a passion to care compassionately in our city, in our community. God, continue to stir in us as a people that we would hear your murmurings in our soul to engage in a problem or in a, a people group that need you. We long to join you, Jesus. We really do. And God, we, uh, 
we don't have a lot of moments here to pause. So by the miraculous power of your spirit, would you do something new in our hearts individually that then becomes communal as a people, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I'm gonna invite you in just a moment to stand to your feet. I wanna invite the prayer team to join me even now um, across the front, maybe a couple prayer team folks in back and a couple of challenges here in just our closing kind of two minutes together today. I wanna encourage you to take a next step. There's really three specific next steps uh, that we've kind of triggered today, if you will. First, come receive prayer from a prayer team person. If you wanna come to the front and receive prayer, do that. If you wanna go to the back, do that. We simply have a question to begin that prayer with. You may have a lot of things you need prayer for today, so get prayer for all of them, but would you start your prayer with this? God, how are you calling me to work for the peace and prosperity of those around me? God, how are you calling me to work for the peace and prosperity for those around me? We're gonna put that prayer even on screen. It's in your U version as well. And we wanna encourage you to pray for the prosperity of the people around you. To begin to allow God to work in those ways. So do that. Secondly, a couple other ways. One, if you wanna just get involved and, and do something about it, you're an activator like me and you wanna get going, we have signups open already for our homeless shelter. It begins in February. It's just one little way amidst the hundreds, if not thousands of ways we will engage to care with the city in compassionate care in the years to come. But there's a laptop in the back on the table where you can register to serve at the homeless shelter. There's dozens of ways you can serve from small commitment to large. Let's fill every slot this morning. What do you say? Let's every single one of us, whether we're eight years old or 80 years old, say, hey, there's gotta be a way I can serve this part of the population. So those signups are in that back table. Also, there are a few journals, next 10 journals. And I need six of you to sign up, if you will, and say, I will be an intercessor for the next 10. I will be one who prays into this on a daily basis. And those of you who are intercessors, you know who you are. We need you. We need you to pray into that for us. We're not all that way. Some of us uh, kind of, Fire, 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 and then say ready, aim later. Um, and those of you who are intercessors have, have a way of say ready, aim, and then fire. We need you to help us ready and aim. We need that because we're gonna have thousands of ideas bubbling up to the surface. Intercessors, we need you to help guide that <laughs> and discern that. So there's some journals in back. If you will be a, a intercessor for us, grab a journal. And I wanna challenge you to write the first one in there. God, how are you calling me to partner in the peace and prosperity? Can we actually get that question on screen? It's in the notes, peace and prosperity, thank you. God, how are you calling me to work for the peace and prosperity of those around me? We're gonna leave that up there. So intercessors, grab an intercessory journal, write that right in there, and then just begin to feed back as you're praying for us every day, journaling, what's God saying? What's he bubbling up in you? And then finally, uh, there's a giving station in back. Please stop by there and give and give generously. It's gonna take all of us coming together to make this happen. And we are setting aside funds for this so that when you have ideas, we can green light those ideas and give funding to them. So we need you to give. We need you to give generously. We need you to give more to God's kingdom than you do to manicures. We need you to give more to God's kingdom than you spend on groceries. It's that important. We don't need you to not buy groceries. Not asking you to do that. But I'm saying if you can afford a petty, you can afford to give to the kingdom. And I know that that's strong and I know that that's 
heavy. And I know for some of us, we grew up in a church environment where they always wanted our money and I'm sorry, but we're not gonna back down from God's kingdom because we all have baggage. So let's do that together. I'll be the first with you. My family are in this with you. So uh, give and give generously. Stand to your feet if you would. Let's uh, sing a closing song. And I believe uh, Pastor Sean's gonna wrap us up at the end. Boy.